welcome to the Nunmax Podcast Plays Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I'm your host and Game Master, Tyler Dykeman. Today, we are going to be going through Session 0 and character creation. We're going to cover some tips of running a successful Session 0, and we're also going to be covering the characters that we've rolled up for our playthrough of Fall of Plaguestone, which we'll be doing here very soon. Um, this is going to be covering session zero and character creation. If you're looking for the juicy story content, get to the next episode and listen to us play through Fall of Plaguestone. I'm going to start off by just kind of going over a few things that are, we think are really important to getting and running a successful session zero. Um, first and foremost, we're going to talk about the social contract for playing the game. If you've decided that you've got a group of friends together and you're deciding to sit down and play, you all have to have a social contract laid out. This one's really simply just having fun, damn it. The first thing that the group has to do is you have to agree on the reason why you're gathering to play. I'm going to kind of start with us here. Um, and I'm going to go around the table and I'm going to introduce everybody. Um, we don't have the, we'll do a character introduction later, but for right now, let's just get the players in and I'll start with David. Yo, I am David and I am the one part of Min Maxed that isn't in Min. I'm down in Ga in the South. <laughs> Ga Maxed. Ga? No, no, Swanee had the best idea. It was Gaiman, but... That could go a different direction. Nah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, you know, it's being more accepted these days, but uh, <laughs> before I leave that one out. They do have pronouns on the character sheet now. Did you see that? That's true. There are. Way to go, Paizo. Being progressive. I like it. I was kind of impressed by that, actually. Next, let's go with Ted. Okay. Um, I'm Ted. I live in Minnesota with the men. I don't know. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> been with the group for, what, three years? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, David, how long have you been playing tabletop RPGs? Oh, God, forever. Um, that doesn't count. Swanee and I have probably been playing for, what do you say, two decades probably? And we're both in our early 30s? Um, I think you started a little before me. I think I started in about 10th grade. So I, I started at about 12, 12, 12 years old. I started playing in 2001, and I've been the forever, for my initial group, I was just the forever GM. I was back with 3.0, I'm rem if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I, I started in 3.0. I, I started like right after 3.0 came out. I've never played second edition Dungeons and Dragons. Now, I do specifically remember that I didn't understand the game so much that when we rolled our stats for D&D 3, we use D20s. Yeah, yeah, I did the same. No idea what the fuck we were doing. I also added my attack modifier to damage. Instead of trying to unlock doors, we just broke through the walls around them. <laughs> I, I still do that. Like, break down the door, break down the surrounding. Yep. That's <laughs> uh, let's hit up Swanee next. Yeah, my name's Alex, uh, more commonly referred to as Swanee. Who's Alex? That's what I ask when anybody calls me that. Um, <laughs> As David said, I've been playing, uh, I started just as 3.5, just before 3.5 came out. So I bought some 3.0, used 3.0 books, and pretty much immediately turned around and bought some used three or some brand new 3.5 books. Um, been playing since, uh, yeah, like I said, probably about uh, 10th grade. So that was what, God, 
12 years, 13, 14 years ago. Too goddamn long 16, ago. A long time ago. Like half my life. That's a lot. <laughs> so together we already have about three decades worth, right? I only have three years. Right. I feel like that's nothing compared <laughs> to young guys. <laughs> But, but hey, we're starting. We're we're starting Pathfinder 2E, so we're all in the same boat. Yeah, right we're now. all on the same level now. You know, it's actually really interesting about Ted. When I first brought him in, I've never ever seen anybody so thoroughly devour a rule set and then go moving on directly to breaking it. Like that that time frame between the tool understanding and breaking it, there was nothing. Well, I was, I was like people that trash talk D players too i thought there were just huge nerds I, I would never be one and then i befriended you and you brought me in and i watched one session and i was hooked i, I read that core rule book front page to back page in like a week <laughs> All I I could like. think of was, how can i break this and build the most like ridiculous character i love that that's so great all right last but Ab. it's not <laughs> Oh, hey, yeah, I'm Spencer. Uh, I've been playing, started with 3-5 way back, and been playing Pathfinder with these guys for the last five years or so, if not longer. Oh, man, it's been like eight. All right, all right, shit, eight years. We've been years. playing for a long time. No, seven, more like seven years. We've done the playtest for this. We did the playtest for Starfinder. We did a campaign in Starfinder, and now we're here to do some 2E. Yeah, we're all really pumped about this. I do remember that I ran this group through the playtest when it initially dropped. We got through the first chapter before we decided it wasn't for us. I mean, we submitted our feedback. We did our due diligence. I ran a couple of other 2E playtest games just so I could, you know, take part in the community. Um, but it, it's, it, it was so much that was changing on such a rapid basis. It was hard to have a solid game made from it. So we reverted to 1E, and before this, we were playing, what was it, Return of the Rune Lords and then Tyrant's Grasp? Yeah. To get back, we're, uh, we're touching on the social contract. Now, I actually really like that Paizo included this on the introduction, if anybody ever reads the introduction chapters of these books, um, and a, just a small section about the social contract. But I'm going to blow that up. I think the social contract is one of the most important parts of playing a tabletop RPG. Now, there's one thing that you know everybody's here for, without a doubt, and that's having fun, damn it. There's, that's, that's why we get together, whether it's to tell stories, to crunch numbers for math, just to roll some fucking dice, that's why we're here. Now, it's important that everybody has to agree to the type of game that you're going to be playing. For us, it's pretty simple. We've been gaming together for so long that our social contract is just assumed when we jump into a game. Now, it's important to note that once you have the social contract for how your, your people are getting together, there are some things to really keep in mind throughout your session zero process. You should always go back to your social contract. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely a really important thing to get into as we, I think, are probably getting to a place where more people are meeting online to figure out gaming groups. Uh, you know, it's, all, it's the old joke. What's the hardest thing to, what's the hardest skill check to accomplish in a game of Dungeons and Dragons? Finding a time when everybody can play. So it's, as people are getting together with people they don't know, like through comic shops or online forums, it's, it's definitely important to sit down and figure out what is it that everybody's here to do, figure out that social contract and how everybody wants to proceed and have a good time. Your venue of play can vary heavily. This group right here, we meet online. 
we'll we'll do some we'll do some uh, podcasts later on that discuss our setup in more detail. But right now we're we're using a video call and we're using a virtual tabletop program to share maps with each other and dice rolls. Um, and it's one of those things where because of things like that, technology allows you to play with nearly anybody. There are looking for group forums. Uh, there's an LFG subreddit for crime and his sake. It's, it, it, if you take the time to go out there, there are players. They exist. Playing in your house or in your apartment or finding a game shop nearby to play in isn't always easy. But I will say playing a game in a game shop is tons of fun. Like that's, that's, that's a community and that's cool to have local game shops, get involved in your local game communities. Also do that. It's huge. Yeah, I played some 5e at um, our local game shop here in town and it's, it's a lot of fun. You get a wide variety of players that you wouldn't necessarily normally play with. Um, The GMs can be, some of them are paid, some of them aren't paid. You get a wide variety that you're not, uh, not necessarily used to and it's a lot more exciting sometimes so i mean it's it's of my opinion that everybody should be playing some tabletop game of some kind it's one of the best social outlets out there in my opinion period at the end of the day tabletop rpgs are collaborative storytelling games and that's why we play them we get together with friends and we tell stories because if you hang out with people for so long you run out of stories to tell each other not when you're playing a tabletop RPG. Never run out of stories that way. Now, your social contract can be super vague. It can be very specific. Like, you can be as specific as we're here to play a f- combat-focused campaign with little RP, high action, and heavy tactical play. We can go the other way around. We're here to play a high uh, intrigue, heavy RP-focused game with little contract. Um, and have a lot of dialogue going on. One thing I'm going to point out about this group right now is that for our playthrough of Fall of Plaguestone, Fall of Plaguestone, that we're going to be going through, um, we're going to be focusing really heavily on the rules crunch. The, one of the big focuses we've got for doing this podcast is helping people learn to play the game, uh, understand what it sounds like when it's in motion, and just understanding those nuts and bolts. The more everybody understands what's going on, or at the very least, the GM knows what's going on, everything can go really smoothly from there. So we're going to refer back to the social contract a lot during our session zero. And that's going to come to a lot of when you're making your characters, what type of characters you're going to play, and uh, their personalities. So it's important to remember with session zero that everybody is there to have fun. And one person's fun isn't always the same as another's. I think, Ted, you have a good example of this. I mean, I've run a game before where we had one guy who, you know, was just trying to have a good time. You know, he he liked to drink. And at some point, you know, months into the campaign, it, it just seemed like that was his main reason for coming. And the rest of the group was trying to, you know, stay oriented onto the campaign they, they wanted to rp they wanted to do things campaign oriented while, while the other guy was just drinking and you know you got to set boundaries boundaries are super important when you're running a game and the, and the big thing to, to say about this is that session zero it's the gm's night we should have make sure that those boundaries are set that everybody understands what the constraints of your game are because the biggest thing i see from 
from most tabletop groups is that if there's not a, a full acceptance on the social contract, the group at some point in the campaign is going to implode. You're not going to finish your story. You got character who isn't fully fleshed out and it's just disappointing at the end of the day. So we can do some work right up front, make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, and, and it's really, it just creates a successful gaming environment. Now, session zero can take place in a lot of different venues. I know for some people, you just want to roll some fucking dice. So when you actually get people together in the same room or over a video call, uh, whether it's Skype or Hangouts or whatever, Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, however you're playing your game, when you actually get people together, sometimes you just want to roll dice. It's important to note that Session Zero can take place using technology. You got social media, you got group chats, uh, you could do you know, text messaging, meet up at a bar. It doesn't matter where you do your Session Zero. Session Zero is just important to flesh out before you start rolling dice. Yeah, for us, like a lot of times, we'll basically be doing our session zero in our group chat, like our text group chat. It's almost like a play by post as we're all talking about the characters we're creating and, and what our goals are for the campaign. And so that's, that's like a great way to do it because you can take it over a long period of time before the campaign even starts. Well, and sometimes we get that, like you said, you get that itch. Um, we don't want to wait to get together. Um, we want to be starting this next week. So we're, we're all sending those messages back and forth. This is what I want to play. This is what I'm thinking. And sometimes it's, you know, whoever calls it first gets it, but, um, and whoever's left over kind of gets stuck with whatever's left for party composition, which I think we're going to talk about later. But, um, we also do a really good job of making sure everybody's playing what they want to play. Yeah. What's the point of getting together to play a game if you don't get to play the character that you get to play? Now, granted, party composition can be done in a lot of different ways. Uh, like we're talking about, you know, composition. At the end of the day, the success in the campaign can be va based very heavily on the group's composition. A group of four paladins is tons of fun to play, but as soon as you come across some ancient arcane ruins, you're useless. So it, it, it depends on what kind of game, again... Back to the social contract. What kind of game are you playing? Um, but Swanee mentioned composition, party composition. I'm going to get into that. Um, it, is, it is really important. And most of the time, your very generic uh, party composition is a party of four. Most adventure paths are written for four player characters. And it generally assumes that you're going to have a support character a utility character somebody that deals physical damage and somebody that deals magical damage uh generally that comes out in the fighter cleric rogue and wizard that's the most archetypical tabletop party some people some groups might like the challenge like i mentioned that party of four paladins that's challenging some groups like that i'll say that i derive a lot of my fun in playing games when i'm a player character in feeling danger I want my character to constantly be you know, on the verge of death. Personally, I might put my characters in really terrible positions very often, David. Uh, I can attest to that. I have killed <laughs> many of Tyler's characters. <laughs> um, but it, it, 
there's a lot of different ways that you can get a challenge. You know, do a, 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 a really crazy party layout, like, you know, make four alchemists and see if you can fulfill all four roles using one party. We did something similar, but we ended up with a pretty rounded party. We decided to completely roll randomly for ancestry, background, and class, um, which has some interesting combinations and a, a few very bland combinations. But I think that character creation is a super important part of session zero because not only do you guys need to lay down your social contract and how you're going to play with each other, but you need to understand who your other players are playing as characters. That's good to know. Role-playing wise, you want to separate, you know, if, if David's uh, monk has never met Ted's uh, fox person in role-playing, they might play that out but the players like to know what their other players stories are it's fun we're here to share those experiences some people might really want to hold back really important things of their backstory until it becomes relevant rogues i'm looking at you which brings me to my next point backstories as a gm you're going to get very varied backgrounds you could get anything from, I just rolled up the numbers on the sheet. I don't know anything about this guy. He doesn't even have a name on the character sheet yet to a five-page dossier of everything that's happened since the character was born. Uh, the important thing is that you really shouldn't get down on other people based on how they do their backstories. I have, in the past, required backstories from my characters or from my players and uh, gone on to never use them, right? The biggest reason why I want players to have a backstory is because how do you understand the, how your character would react in a situation if you don't know their past? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that, with, with what you're saying is don't require backstories all the time. It's because some people like to, going back to what you're saying, everybody's there to just have fun, damn mm -hmm. it. And for some people, like myself, writing a huge backstory that is convoluted and way too long is what I enjoy doing. But for other people, you just want to roll some fucking dice, like you said. And, and I don't think there's a reason to exclude one player type or to promote one player type over the other. It's just, what are people doing to have fun? Again, going back to the social contract, people are there to have fun, damn it. And how, how a person has fun is okay. However that person wants to have fun is fine. As long as it's not interfering with the rest of the group. That, that, that's another key right there. Like there's the stereotypical air quotes, that guy who plays the rogue that steals from the party is a super edge Lord. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where if your party is okay with you playing that character, play that character. Uh, Ted, uh, it's a perfect example. We played uh, strange aeons and Ted has a character who, how many PCs did you kill in that game? Three. So three of my teammates. Ted killed three of his teammates. Now, the best part about it is that the way he did it is that none of them knew at any point that he was the one that killed them. He did it secretly, like in the middle of combats when somebody was down on life. Uh, but we had that conversation before we started. Ted was like, all right, guys, I'm legitimately playing an evil character. Are you okay with it? And everybody said, yeah. And we had a great time with it. It was a lot of fun. Writing a backstory for players can be hard. So I'm just going to cover three different styles that I've seen that I think are really effective. 
there's definitely the David approach, the whole shebang, where you've got your early life, including birthplace, your living conditions, uh, how those living conditions affect the PC's personality, uh, you know, relationships with they had that they had with people growing up, uh, their working life. It's it's really cool that as part of Pathfinder Second Edition, they've included backgrounds because it gives the people who don't generally roll up write up backgrounds. A, a mechanical reason to pick a background. You at least start having the thought in your head, the conversation with yourself of, you know, hey, if my goblin was uh, a noble, how did that happen, right? There's a lot of different crazy spaces that you can work with story-wise just based on crazy combinations. We're going to get into that later on for sure. But that's one of them, getting it all down. Uh, one of the other things that I think is really cool is just doing a background as you go. Now, I should point out that this is how we're doing Plague Stone. We're, we've got uh, our characters with their ancestries, their background, and their class, and we're going to flesh out their stories while we're playing. Um, and that's a fun thing to do if you have some people who really like coming up with things on the fly. Uh, it's a lot more improv based which is a lot of tabletop RPGs, let's be honest. But um, as a GM, if you've got a party that wants to story as they go for backgrounds, be cool with the crazy shit they come up with. If you're playing an NPC that your player just decides out of the blue that they have a relationship with, go with it. It's fun. One of the other things that is right in between the two is just get a summary for now and then flesh out the details later. You know, come up with something that's short and sweet, like Robart the Half-Orc Barbarian was left at an orphanage on a dark and stormy night by a mother that didn't want him. The headmistress was a bitch and constantly pointed that out to Robart uh, that his likely conception was at the hands of a violent orc raid. And because of this, he is constantly bottling up his anger, which comes out sideways whenever he sees or hears awesome parrots. Um, that's something that's really basic. You can play, you know, uh, you can play... Uh, you could go a lot of different ways with that. Um, and that's perfectly fine. The biggest thing with the GM is that you're there to drive the wagon. You're there to, to, you're in the driver's seat. You are moving the car forward. You can't move the car forward unless everybody's having a good time. Because if somebody isn't, what's the point? So is this wagon car an orgy then? Is that what I'm hearing? It's one of those, uh, yeah, yeah, it's an orgy. Or maybe just a party bus. <laughs> There's definitely lots of alcohol involved. Uh, speaking of sexual content, GMs, what's your, what's your worst nightmare? I already know it. Role playing a sexual encounter with one of your player characters, okay? Well, let's be clear. You're playing a tabletop RPG. One of the lures of a tabletop RPG is that you can do or say anything in this world. But your, your game master's a person, right? Unless you're doing a husband and wife, you know, play session, and you just end up fucking at the end of it anyways, who cares? But if you're playing with five people, you just don't make your GM go through that. Holy crap. I've done it once, and I was, I don't even want to talk about it. What if so you're role-playing a blind monk and a fox? God, that was so much fun. <laughs> now, I, tr I tried to get you to do that so many times. I, I refuse to role-play that. We just cut to black when that happens. David and Ted's characters, had were, they, were, they were part of a guy's 
you explain it. Open relationship, I guess. Would be yeah, yeah, you know. I personally in a few orgies, I believe. And they just started off as the blind duo, and suddenly it turned into sex. You I know. Remember, I remember a few combats where uh, <laughs> we were woken up in the middle of the night and we were both <laughs> <maybe> <laughs> naked, no armor, nothing. Yeah, but neither of us cared. <laughs> it's laughing. <laughs> oh, man. So, I, so there are some examples where it's okay. Now, like I said, in that instance, Ted and David were, you know, doing that whole consensual thing. Um, I was not a consensual party in that. So I didn't role play that. I, I cut to black. I'd rather do it. Um, but everybody's got their own thing. If you think role playing sexual encounters is tons of fun, go ahead and roll fortitude saves to see how long it takes until you come. Whatever. Hey, it's all part of the social contract. Also part of the social contract. Exactly. I was going to make a joke when you were talking about the different kinds of social contracts. And I was going to say, and you know, maybe your social contract is just everybody wants to get together and role play medieval fucking, you know, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Online, I'm sure you can find a, a forum. Oh, I have, and get oh, that going. Ro- ro- roll yeah, your fortitude save more. to see if you get chlamydia. <laughs> a monk with diamond body and it's perfect. Oh my God. Paladin. Or a paladin immune dise- dise- diseases. Oh, oh so good. <laughs> Uh, see, we we, we got to go to eat now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh. I want to kind of point out something here, but Swanee's going to talk first. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, going back a little bit, that um, GMing is, is quite difficult. And not to try to push anybody off from doing it, it's, it's very rewarding to do it. But I mean, a lot of it comes back to the GM engaging the players into doing some of these things, drawing out that backstory. And again, it also goes back to the social contract. How much role play do you want to do versus combat? Um, the more role playing you want to do, the more you know we need to have those opportunities to discuss what happened to us in our past, to talk amongst the players or the, the our characters amongst ourselves to reveal some of that stuff. And sometimes it takes a little prompting, and that that sadly sometimes falls on the GM to be like, oh hey, do you guys want to talk about? anything while you're sitting around the fire that's a good idea and one thing i want to bring up to the gms as far as like engagement because it might be like let's say you as a gm uh have found yourself a group of people who have never played before um and you've been wanting to play a tabletop game for so long and you finally convince four people to get together and do it and they're all just completely unexcited or unenthusiastic about it at the table get excited for your players. It's a really easy way to get them engaged. You know, somebody rolls a natural 20 on the, on their dice, get excited for them. That's a cool thing to have happen. Explain things in an exciting way, you know, express yourself. That's the biggest thing as a GM is you can just sit and express yourself. Um, depending on the type of GM you are, you may or may not have voices for your characters. I try to vocalize my NPCs a lot. I know David tries to vocalize his NPCs a lot. But Ted and Swanee, they do a lot of description. They'll describe what's going on and describe facial expressions while they're DMing. And it's, it's one of those things where you don't have to feel forced into doing that. But David's, David's definitely a voices guy. Uh, every, every one of the players or every one of the characters that I've seen you play in has a distinct voice. And that's something that not every player is comfortable doing. Don't try to force them into it. Now, there's certain things that creating a voice makes it easier to role play. But some people aren't comfortable with it. Don't force it on them. 
just have fun, damn it. To end out the session zero section, I'm going to just give you guys MinMax's social contract. We're going to be doing a collaborative storytelling game while demonstrating the new Pathfinder 2nd Edition rule set for new and experienced tabletop players alike. We want to share our love for tabletop RPGs to the world while having fun, damn it. So with that in mind, we're going to get to the last section here, and we're going to be introducing our players' characters for the fall of Plaguestone. This is Paizo's uh, first short adventure. Uh, it goes from levels one to four. And for these players, we've, like I mentioned earlier, completely rolled randomly for what we have. So we're going to talk through character creation with all the steps that Paizo's laid out in their ABCs. And real quick, before we move on, I love the ABC system. It's fantastic. It's an easy way to describe what you need in order to have a character. Ancestry, background, class. Everything is derived from those three things. If you have a core book in front of you, why don't you go ahead and flip that thing open to the introduction. Which you just might because today is August 1st as we record this. We all just got our cores today. Uh, which, by the way, it's fucking huge. 648 pages? Let's go ahead and uh, let's start off with step one. When you're creating your character, have a concept in mind. You know, there's so many different things that you can do. Any fantasy archetype is out there. And the beautiful thing about the Pathfinder system is that if you can, if you can imagine it, you very likely can create it. And mechanically, you might miss a few things. If you're looking to make Batman out of the gate at level one, it ain't going to happen. But you can build Bruce Wayne. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to pick your ancestry after you've come up with a concept. Um, like I said, because we randomly rolled, we didn't really come up with concepts ahead of time. So, David, what'd you pick for your ancestry? What'd you roll? For my ancestry, I got a halfling. Okay, okay. What are the cool things about the halfling that's different from 1E or other, other tabletop RPG games that you enjoy that 2E, second edition does? Well, first of all, I just want to point out, anybody who has the core should take a look at the art on page 53. That halfling is absolutely modeled on Peter Dinklage, and I think it's great. Oh, yeah, you're right. I noticed that when I was reading it, too. I was like, <laughs> is that? There's no way. That's Tyrion Lannister, man. I really um, have to. I really have to um, commend Paizo on the the art in in this book. It's, oh hell yeah! It's, it's amazing. Fantastic. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's. Super. I, I I haven't been disappointed at any point in any of the artwork. Yeah, it's production has been taking taken up a notch for sure. Um, so with the halfling, I mean everybody knows and loves halflings. I'm inspired by Tolkien. One cool thing that I just like in general about it is these uh, ancestry feats that I'm sure we're going to get into. Halfling luck, I didn't take it, but I love seeing that there's like this super OP halfling luck that just lets you re-roll a save once a day. I mean, that's, that's perfect for halflings. Uh, that's, that's a great thing to point out. After you have chosen your ancestry, um, and it's not a huge list right now, but the one thing I like about 2E so far is that it is a solid chassis that things can be easily plugged into uh, as far as splat books are concerned in the future. But ancestry feats, when you pick your heritage, you first, or sorry, 
take that back. When you first pick your ancestry, one of the things you decide immediately after that is your heritage. Um, which heritage did you pick up, David? I ended up taking the nomadic halfling, uh, which suited uh, the background that I randomly rolled, which I'm sure we'll get to. But basically, the nomadic halfling is, well, as it sounds, a nomad. It gave me two additional languages. So after you've picked your heritage, then you get into and pick your first ancestry feat. And an ancestry feat is something that you pick in order to help define your race more specifically. One of the things I wanted to mention about the heritage and the ancestries in general is that it really increases right out the gate how many, how diverse each ancestry is. You're not just playing a goblin. You're playing a goblin that has a specific heritage. So you've got five different types of goblins right out the gate. And as, as you mentioned, I'm assuming and I'm sure they will be adding more as they go. But I mean, yeah, you've got five different goblins. It's not going to be my goblins the same as your goblin. And that's the one thing that Paizo and Pathfinder in specific has been known for in the tabletop community is character customization and i do know that some people online have kind of lamented a little bit about the lack of choices but when you get when you get completely bombarded with how many feats were into 1e before it was finished literally thousands of feats uh you're you had a boundless supply of options but the the biggest thing and like i said i already mentioned it this chassis is solid and can be added into very easily. Um, heritages, you can plug in a heritage at any point. Just make it another selection. And there absolutely will be tons to come. I mean, this book is already 648 pages and it's full of good information. Like they just couldn't put any more in. It's, it's, they're going to be releasing a lot more stuff for sure. And, and I'm sure you'll get a lot more choices as things go. And, and no, you can actually already see online that like, They've already got stuff planned out through like February of next year and probably farther than that. You can see what's out there and what's going to be coming. They've got other books and stuff that they've already said are going to have more classes, more races and more heritages. So it's, it's really exciting to see that that's already, that they're already planning on that. Uh, yeah, there's one thing that Paizo is very good at and it's fucking pumping out content. Uh, David, you're probably going to have to beep this in editing later, but your D&D 5e people who are coming over to Pathfinder, you will not be starved for content with this thing. Can I ask you to beep out every time I say Dungeons and Dragons or Wizards of the Coast? Those are bad words in this podcast right now. <laughs> Why? They're I, naughty. Lots of people play I like 5e. I, can't. I know. But we're not... I, you know what? And I had this conversation with Sam... Uh, every time I explain to people what my hobby is, I just call it Dungeons and Dragons. Everybody having, does. You have to. Having to explain. Yeah, it's, it's the generic. You call it a Kleenex. Yeah. You don't call it a facial tissue. That's a good point. I never thought about that comparison. I drink, I eat Hydrox cookies. Not, <laughs> not I, Oreos. I, fuck. They're the original Oreos. Oh, <laughs> I play tabletop RPGs. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, there's a, there's definitely a, uh, um, like the neck beard, like a, like a stereotype, like, like the stereotype, yeah, stereotype. That's the word I'm looking for. Stereotype. Like there's definitely a stereotype for D and D players and they're always big neck beardy dudes who live in their mom's basement. Not to say anything against the big neck beardy dudes who play in their mom's basements because you built this 
you built this hobby. Okay. Also, at least three of us are neckbeardy guides. So I also live in a basement. I, there you go. I live in a basement. We're not breaking stereotypes here. We're reinforcing them. Um, I'm also gainfully employed. I'd like to point that out. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so wow, we got really off topic there, didn't we? <laughs> Super far off. Oh, man. Okay. So, so we're going to bring it back here a little bit. We just went through ancestry a little bit. Um, so real quick, before we move on to backgrounds, I'm going to have everybody else go through what they got for their ancestry. Uh, uh, go ahead, Ted. So I rolled up, uh, well, first off, Ancestry is going to be human with a half-orc heritage. Um, I'll be completely upfront. I've never played a half-orc, and I've played yeah. very few humans. Yeah. Uh, mostly because if I remember, in first edition, I felt like humans were kind of one of the overpowered core races. Like, yeah, it's it's one of those, of it's, benefits. yeah, it's one of those things where if you're making a character, uh, is the best version of that character a human Probably. Almost always. Like mechanically speaking, yeah, almost always. Yeah, the extra feats, the extra skill point, the extra, I mean, just the versatility with, okay, two free, I mean, two E, two free bonuses to anything versus having it be a specific thing. They, they really are very versatile so that they can be basically anything. Well, and from what I can tell, it seems like that's been toned down i mean I, when i read through human on here it doesn't seem like it's as overpowered as it was in first edition no in, in fact i think one of the things they're setting up for the human here is other half races well they do mention a little bit about other half races in the sidebar in, in the yeah. sidebar yeah they saw them mention like you could have a half dwarf half human but just use the half orc template all depends on which half and I actually ended up as a half orc. Um, again, randomly rolled. Uh, and there are other half options here. But yeah, that's what I ended up with. And I'm um, interested to play. I never played one before. I can't really call out anything different because um, I don't know how they were before, to be honest. Well, since you, uh, you, you ended up getting, you got, you got pigeonholed into your heritage because half orc was part of our role. What did you pick for your ancestry feat? My ancestry feat? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it actually is half-orc. Half-orc is the feat. That's the heritage. Oh, that's the heritage. The feat, you said you took half-orc um, something. Half-orc spell or I, skill or something like that? Half-orc superstition. Oh, orc superstition, yeah. I orc, superstition. orc superstition, which gives me a bonus against spell and magic effects. Um, on my actual saves, which just seemed overpowered in itself. So, of course, I picked it. I like breaking things. Yeah, of course. Been maxed? Been maxed? What? Yeah. yeah. I wonder, I wonder I if that's what we do. My characters at all. <laughs> Hold on, real quick. Uh, Ted, what strength score did your last character have? Kirai? Oh, uh, my main stat? No, strength, not your main oh, stat. Strength? Uh, five. Yeah, I and... five in my strength and a 26 in my charisma. And what level were we? Seven? Eight? That. We were over ten, I believe. Are we still? Well, by the time he, by the time he got down to five, we were we were like hey, ten and or I, eleven. Or I did have to compensate with spells to increase my strength because technically it was actually a three. <laughs> <laughs> point, point. That was that was very poignant, poignantly made, uh, Ted. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, generally we are a bunch of power gamers. Spencer, what you pick? What you have rolled up for your heritage? 
it's the human, uh, very similar with one E, the heritage that Ted spoke of, where you can be a half elf or half orc. Um, there's a versatile, which is you gain the additional feet. So that's very similar to like one E character. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other one is skilled, where you pick a, you basically become trained in a skill of your choice. Which one did you pick? Uh, I went with the extra general feat. The general feat or the class feat? General feat. General feat. Sweet. Humans are versatile. That's what they do. Uh, last on this list, I've saved you for last specifically, Swanee, because this is my favorite ancestry in this game so far. Um, well, my, yeah, my ancestry is Goblin, and uh, the heritages are, as you can expect, very Goblin-y. They're a lot of fun. I, um, because of the class, I, I ended up rolling. I went with the Razortooth Goblin, um, and that gives me a 1d6. It's called a jaw, but basically a bite attack. It's an unarmed attack that um, allows me to deal deal some damage. So, yeah, I, I'm, then as a feat, um, I took, it's called Goblin Scuttle. Oh, that one's good. Um, so basically, if... Uh, an ally ends his movement next to me, I can take a step as a reaction, which allows me to move five feet. And we're going to get into actually playing the game more in our next episode um, where we're going to cover actions and things like that, um, even though it, it's the best part about the rules system of 2E is the new action economy. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who disagrees with that. Yeah. And along with um, the goblin, I mean, obviously it's it's a new core class, so there's not a, there's a lot of differences. Um, I think it's really fun that they get a plus two charisma, just because they're 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 just so they have a force of force personality. They, I mean, they're they're weird, they're crazy, but yet they you can't help but love them <laughs> you know that's that's one of the things about charisma that sometimes drives me nuts is that it's not how good somebody looks it is a force of personality ancestry is fun and you know this used to be called race and i'm going to get back to the solid chassis again um i think i think ancestry is a good way to go about this um i haven't mentioned this yet and I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it, except for just to say this one thing. I do really like how Paizo has really gone out of their way to be super accepting. Um, changing race to ancestry is part of that, including uh, pronouns on the character sheet is part of that. It's a really solid, thought-forward way to write your core rule book. Thank you, Paizo. Yeah, it's 2019. Good job. Yeah, they've, they've gone away from calling specific people she he and stuff like that they've really gone to you it's like i mean why why does it need a, a gender when it's not a specific character now in the abc list the next thing that comes is background i mean we mentioned this a little bit earlier the background is the thing that you did as a character before you decided to start adventuring backgrounds have a ton of variety and this is one of the spots in the new system that is just ripe for adding on to in fact even just in the uh, player's guide for age of ashes they added five or six new backgrounds there are age of ashes specific but things you could easily take outside of age of ashes i am going to uh 
go around again. We're going to talk about what everybody's an, uh, background was. And I'm actually going to start with Swanee this time because you had one of the most interesting role combinations. What was your background as a goblin? So, yeah, as the goblin, I got the emissary background, which, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't have normally picked the emissary to go with the goblin, although um, because goblins, they, they have a high charisma the society skill doesn't really match with charisma very well, but the as a diplomat in goblins, people just don't think of goblins as diplomats. And so I'm really looking forward to playing that along with the class that I ended up being. It's going to be tons of fun. How about uh, Ted? Who'd you get? What'd you get for background? So I haven't quite figured out how i mix this in, but uh, I got the tinker background with my half work and uh, I just can't see it. A half work just tinkering with, I, I don't even know where we're at technology wise. Here's why you can't see it, Ted. We're gonna pre, we're gonna kind of spoiler alert for the class section. What class did you get? Druid. Okay, so we got gonna a druid. half orc tinker druid. You're an arborist. You're tinkering um, with plants. I, I play with plants. <laughs> I'm just imagining a big half orc dude just in the woods playing with plants. Show me like where that. That makes the trees grow in a certain way and like makes a heart or you like to put a, get a bicycle inside the tree. Oh, that works. We'll call it bioengineering instead of just engineering. There, there you go. You go. Um, show me on the dial where the half orc touched you. No I think To go on to the next person. <laughs> uh, David, what'd you get for a background? So my nomadic halfling is a sailor, uh, which worked out. I, uh, I, I have had a, actually a halfling sailor concept in my head for a while named Plum Pargeter. So now this character is Plum Pargeter. All right. And uh, Spencer, what uh, was your vanilla background? I'd be simply acolyte. Um, simply just a uh, religion guy. Human acolyte. All right. Let's, uh, we're going to move on to our last bit here in this class. Classes, you got 12 classes in the core. They are very traditional, with the exception of one at the very least. Um, I would say Alchemist is a traditional Pathfinder class, mm -hmm. because when it, when it hit the scene as a base class, when, what, what book was that that it came out in? Um, advanced class. Advanced no, not advanced class. No, 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 it wasn't. Because that was class, the was Advanced Player's Guide? Yeah, there it is. Advanced, advanced player's. player's Guide. They had the, uh, what it was, the Witch, the Oracle, uh, a couple of others, and the Alchemist. Because um, Advanced Class came out with the hybrids. Yeah, that yep. was the hybrids. Yep. Um, I would say the Alchemist probably has some of the most popularity um, out of it. And in first edition, you could make an Alchemist do anything. Anything. Literally. Uh, Alchem alchemists and goblins feel like Paizo's babies. Like yeah. Paizo loves alchemists and Paizo loves goblins, so now they're in the core, and that's that's great. And and that's what they. I mean, in the goblin section, they they say, well, if you want to play a goblin, you should probably play an alchemist because they love fire <laughs> and bombs. <laughs> <laughs> so for the class part of it here, I brought up the alchemist just to point out that it was, you know, it's it's the same as what you're used to if you're a tabletop RPG player. Um, but the alchemist is a new addition. The other one that's new, and this one's drastically different. Spencer, what class did you get? The champion. It is near identical. Well, not sorry, not identical, but it's a close choice to the paladin from One E. So. As a champion, you 
champion your deity's profile from what I'm gathering from it. Correct. In fact, you actually have a subtype of the champion. If you're lawful good, you are called a paladin. Neutral good is a redeemer, and chaotic good is a liberator. Which is a cool thing that they've done with a lot of the classes. Uh, you get to pick you know, a starting specialization. Uh, what do they call that in the champion section, Spencer? Your deity and cause. Their cause, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, for example, in the Alchemist, it's, uh, I think it's field of research, research field. What about uh, the sorcerer, David? What specialization yeah, that, that you get? segues to the sorcerer really well, which is what I got, my halfling sailor sorcerer. Um, because sorcerers in Pathfinder have always had bloodlines, which is your own little customizable way to build the character. And it does feel like more characters have that now, um, which is a little 5e reminiscent, but it's, it's good. It's good. And uh, so I went with, uh, I randomly rolled what school of magic my sorcerer uh, focused in, and I got primal. And uh, when I was looking at it, uh, there's only two different primal ones, and the elemental one is the one that seemed to fit. So I went with the elemental bloodline focusing on water, which is fun because it does specifically call out that if you are not the fire elemental bloodline, then all of your fire spells don't actually do fire. They do water. Really? They deal bludgeoning damage rather than fire damage. So instead of produce flame, I have produce water. And uh, I just made that up. And instead of uh, burning hands, I went with boiling hands. Dude, that's really cool. So wait, hold on. So are you saying that all the elemental spells are basically fire spells, but you get to modify them as a sorcerer? Yes, uh, you have to, not get to, have to. So have to. If your element is anything other than fire, they just do bludgeoning damage, which is, I mean, I think you can maybe flavor it a little bit, but that's, that's the way they have it set up. Okay, okay. Might go with scalding hands instead of boiling hands. Well, scalding hands is good, yep. There you go. So we've got Spencer, the human acolyte champion. We got David, the halfling sailor sorcerer. Ted, what'd you get for your class? Uh, so we touched on it before. That's I'm... right. I am a druid, so a uh, half orc tinker druid, and uh, we do have an. Or as a druid, you do get an option as to what order you want to go with. Uh, they split that up, so I mean, one is the wild shape, um, definitely from one e. What I ended up going with was storm. Um, another one, I believe, actually was in one e. Um, oh, I've never played a druid before, and uh, it just seemed like fun. Druid is one of those classes that in this gaming group, at the very least, never gets rolled. When was the last time you guys picked a class for one of our campaigns and one of you rolled a druid? The damn librarian. The, the Venerian. The, 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 mon the monkey That's druid. right. The monkey druid. That was also Spencer. the other druid. What'd you have? Oh. <clears throat> I don't know what campaign it was, but it was the one where Swanee was a lizard folk. No, Ted was the lizard folk. Oh, Kingmaker. No, it was Kingmaker, yeah. I thought you did a. What was? No, it was the druid that had access to all arcane spells and all the right. spells. That's why it didn't feel like a druid because <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't really a druid. A druid. <laughs> the only yeah, way we uh, could play a druid is when it gets uh, modified to arcane. Oh yeah, it started, started with an H or something like that, wasn't it? Uh, the Halos. Yeah. Oh yeah, Halcyon. Halcyon. Halcyon, Halcyon yeah. druid. Not a druid, in my opinion. No, it's not. Not not really a druid. <laughs> but it does have access to all spells. Oh, uh, real quick, I actually want to cut back to David here real quick. 
when it comes to spells. David, what's the fancy new thing that sorcerers get to do with their bloodlines? Um, oh, gosh. To what are you referring? The focus the spell, spell list. Oh, the spell list. Yeah, you have like four different schools that you can choose. Or not schools. They still have the same schools that they've always had for arcane spells. But you're either an arcane caster, an occult caster, a primal caster, or a divine caster um, for uh, depending on what bloodline you choose. So sorcerers pick from any of the four spell lists. By the way, there's four spell lists now. Um, it's occult, arcane, primal, and divine, right? And uh, you pick your bloodline based on that. And that's that part well, was no, you, really cool. That is based on your blood. Or, well, sorry, yeah. You could go either way. You that's could... what I meant, yeah. No, I think that's a great way to r really, truly differentiate the sorcerer and the wizard. The sorcerer and the wizard were so close in what they did and how they operated um, that if a new player might not have really been able to tell the difference. Um, and even experienced players like ourselves, you know, just roll an arcanist, right? So then, then they made the arcanist and got rid of yeah. both of the other ones. I, I do feel like there was a lot of difference between the sorcerer and the wizard, but yeah, the arcanist kind of threw a wrench into it. Spell-wise, yeah. spell though, they were very similar. That's like, true. They had the like, same spell list. Like the, the, the mechanics were very different, but the spell lists were the same. I mean, it was literally the wizard-sorcerer spell list. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. So anyways, I just wanted to cut back on that because we were talking about spell lists for a second. Uh, Swanee, your goblin emissary has what class? Um, so yeah, I am a, a goblin emissary barbarian. <laughs> um, so I will be in your face, but very diplomatic about it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just gets really angry when negotiations break down? Um, oh, Jesus Christ, yeah, actually, actually um, personality very friendly for a goblin, but prone to bouts of rage when threatened. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if uh, you try to like threaten him in in negotiations or something, that's not going to end well for you. Are you threatening me right now? <laughs> uh, you used too many words there. You threatened me. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. G grammar. And and that also works in with the barbarian, with you know, the emissary. It's supposed to be well-spoken. Barbarians and goblins are both not known for their uh, their speaking abilities. We're gonna have um, fun. See, randomly rolling. See, Swanee has always done this. I, I have I have always been about randomly rolling as much stuff as I can and making the best out of it. Because um, yeah, I mean, I I I, I love min-maxing. I've done it many times, but as as I've played, I've decided you know I like. I like doing Max things spinning. different. Yeah, I, I like doing things that are just different. That you know, I might not have thought of myself, or isn't necessarily the most um, the, the the most useful character, but it's a fun character. Which David, you should know all about with your blind monk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think uh, this is the group though. We've all done that. We have all made useless characters just because they're fun. And oh that's yeah, with your social contract. Is like that's fine. Like it, you don't have to be there to be a power gamer. It's even though we're called min max, it's fine to make characters that are just absolute shit and fun. Yeah. And and with the social contract, I mean, we we aren't all the same player either. I mean, some of us are more rules lawyers. Um, in this group, it's not quite as evident, but we have some people that we've played with people that have been a lot more RP based or a lot more. What what are they? It, they don't really use rules as much. It's more just, hey, 
you're in you're on the board oh theater of the mind theater of the mind there we go that's yeah it's a lot more theater of the mind Um, what all of our listeners are going to be doing while we play exactly yeah um it's it's all about what you want to do and stuff like that but yeah the the goblin emissary barbarian should be fun um his name is going to be micklick um (laughs) and we will uh We'll see if we can get a voice together for it. I'm not uh, not generally one to do voices, but we'll we'll give it a shot. I, I really want to hear your goblin voice. I do. <laughs> We're all expanding our boundaries here, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll save the goblin voice for uh, first first show. <laughs> I tell you what, yeah. we'll expand our boundaries, Swanee. If you do a voice, I'll make sure I build my character correctly and not fuck up. Oh, that'd be fucking fantastic, <laughs> David. That'd be a first. <laughs> Oh man. Um, so uh, obviously, aside from the ABCs of character creation, uh, you know your ancestry, your background, and your class, you, you fill in all the nitty gritty details afterwards. When you're coming up with your ability scores, Second Edition has made it basically so that you can create a viable character with any ABC combination. If you want to roll a gnome fighter that has an 18 strength, it's not impossible anymore. Well, it wasn't technically impossible before, but it was really fucking hard. Here, you can just, right out of the gate, you can make your gnome fighter with 18 strength. Or you can make your, you know, uh, goblin cleric with an 18 wisdom. Just because those flaws exist within the ability scores of your ancestry doesn't mean you can't make it a viable character using something else. Yeah, I mean, if you have a negative two to the wisdom, it makes it a little bit harder to get it up there, but it, it doesn't automatically discount and remove certain classes anymore, like it felt like it used right. to. We were talking about half-orcs before, and, and it used to be like if you were a half-orc in 3-0, like you were going to be playing something that used strength and that was just all there was to it. Yeah. And, but yeah, now there is diversity in it. You can really kind of make whatever you want. I can see the downside of it too, because it's just a little bit more homogenized. All of your ability scores are going to be very consistent uh, with every character you make, but it yeah, does. Yeah. Allow if, you, a lot of if you use their build way, um, it's, you're going to have the same bonus every single time. Yes. It's your, total, your total bonus will always be the same. Now, from the GM perspective, and David, I know you like rolling randomly for ability scores. I fucking hate it. Now, there are alternate rules in the book for rolling your ability scores as opposed to, you know, buying them, air quote, buying them in this edition. It, if it, that's what works for your group, fucking go for it. Like, yeah, yeah, you do. If that's what your group wants to do, roll up ability scores, and that's fine. Or use an old point by system. Honestly, it'd still work. It'd probably, yeah, it'd probably be close enough to the same. It wouldn't matter. I think the only important things are is that there can't be scores below eight, and there can't be a score above eighteen. So, however you get that, who really cares? All right, guys. So I think we've been kind of chatting for a bit here. Uh, There's a lot that we could talk about. Uh, My goal or our goal here was to really cover session zero and character creation. This is basic 
stuff and it's stuff that uh, sometimes it's hard to get your head wrapped around only because if you're just reading the book at home and you don't have any experience to go off of, how are you supposed to know some of this stuff? So hopefully you can pull some of our ideas for our session zeros and uh, put together a successful group at home. Um, if you enjoyed listening to us, go ahead and head on to our next episode. If you're listening to this episode as we released it, that's really cool. Hi, mom. Um, I think that you're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow night as we end up posting our fall of plague stone beginning. So we'll see you guys then.